0: Hey everyone, we are back for another exciting episode this week, and as odd as it may sound, we are talking WGI in June. Plus, we get to meet Carol Abohattab, a recent inductee into the WGI Hall of Fame, and we will also find out what made Nicole say...
1: If you can do it, do it. You know, that's my whole thing about it. If, if you can do it, do it.
0: ...and why Tom said...
2: We're talking full-on productions coming out Thursday night. Whee!
0: all this and more on this week's episode of on a water break
2: let's go set it up
0: top
1: of the
2: show form check form cover down
3: do it again
4: run it back and we'll see you at the show
0: welcome to another episode of on a water break the podcast where we talk about everything you and your friends are talking about at rehearsal on a water break i'm steve mccarrick and again because jackie is still out teaching another camp but i uh, i hope she's getting tons of water breaks it's been a, a pretty hot week out here but this week we decided to do a deep dive into the wgi rules and advisory board meeting that happened in vegas recently we got to speak with a representative for percussion, guard, and winds on all the changes coming next season. Before we get to those, let's see who's hanging on the sidelines this week. We got Tom and Nicole. What's up, guys? Hey. hey.
2: <laughs> good to have
0: you guys here. Um
2: good to be here.
0: How things going in California, Tom?
2: Well, it's sunny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the last couple days on the East Coast have been Oh, scary almost. I lost power last night. (gasps) Uh, Was it storming? It was just storming. It sounded like bombs exploding outside. Jeremy is nodding his head in silence because he lives near me and he agrees.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my folks live in New Hampshire and they've been, you know, the humidity, the rain.
0: Uh. No bueno. Yeah, it's been no bueno. I completely agree. Uh, Nicole, how have you been?
1: it's been i've been good and the weather here in ohio has actually been pretty nice last weekend we had pride
0: and mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: yeah it was on saturday it was beautiful um it was hot though like super hot <laughs> and um then sunday it was just hot again but yeah it's been really nice here and i've been pretty good i've just been oh, very much working yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm glad to be back and, yeah <laughs> just uh I'm, I'm glad to be back and doing another episode.
0: Yeah, and we love having you here. So we're going to get right into it with our gush and goes for the week, since we have a lot of WGI content to get into. <laughs> really, we have a lot. Uh, but this is the time in our show where our hosts and guests get to gush and go on about anything they want having to do with the marching arts. Nicole, you want to get us started?
1: I, absolutely. That's why it's like, ooh, 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 pick me there. <laughs> Um, so i like i said before i haven't really been doing much of anything with like marching arts or anything like that next week i'm going to my first show of the season um, yeah i think Which I, mean, I mean it's centerville
0: the oh, centerville show man school. i yeah. love centerville
1: oh dude we go my roommate and i go every year and it's just so much fun and we go up and we you know, watch and like he likes to critique, and I'm just I laugh at him. <laughs> so <laughs> it's such a good time, and I I love it because like I'm just on the other side of it, and so I can just marvel at everything that's going on. So I'm super excited to go to see some drum corps next week.
0: Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited too. I feel like we're all about to gush and go about the ECI. <laughs> <Tom, laughs> so what are you gushing and going on well, about this yeah,
2: week? Right, you know, <laughs> look. We're all sad that that Vanguard is not with us this year, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: man, what a distraction with the dog fight that's going to happen from 11th ooh. to 13th place! <gasps> right, I'm more excited. I think Nicole and I were chatting about it. We're more excited about that than we are really who wins this year.
1: It's going to be more exciting. Yeah. It's just like, ooh. I mean, you've got five, you've got five drum corps that could definitely be in that area. And you just yeah. don't.
2: Win. It's gonna be real fun, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's hard to imagine what's gonna happen there because for for all the time I've been watching, Blue Knights was such like a staple. So I can't imagine they're gonna just roll over and not make finals. They're gonna be coming out hot. But Troopers right. has so much. All of those
2: fours, man, are are past. One of them's a past world champion with Madison.
0: Right. Yeah, Madison. They too. know how to
2: get it done. So it's gonna be interesting.
0: That's going to be a really, really uh, interesting journey all summer long. Same thing at the top end, too. I think that uh, all, at least for percussion, even show design, I've been loving BD, been loving Crown. All these shows, yeah. I think it's going to be a great summer.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we've gushed about DCI enough. Let's switch back to winter. We'll get right to these interviews about the rules. Up first, we have Jackie, Justin, and myself. We got to talk to Matt Carraher. And Susie Harloff about winds and percussion. And then Cynthia got to talk to Chris McCarthy, who's one of the directors of the Origins Color Guard, all about WGI rules. We'll be back with you after a commercial break.
1: Hey, this is Christine Rehm
4: and Chris Green.
1: Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres.
0: We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs.
1: Our consignment inventory has plenty of great looks for your color guard, drumline, and marching band.
4: Pay it forward. When you purchase consignment, you help other programs. Last year, we sold over 400 sets of consignments and returned over $125,000 in payments to our consigners for their sales.
1: Additionally, Guard Closet offers custom and pre designed costumes, flags, floors, and formal wear, full or partial show writing, educational programming, and other services.
0: Max out your
4: rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment.
1: The Guard Closet team is here to help you get everything you want and need for your season. Check us out at GuardCloset.com and follow us on social media.
0: All right, everyone. We are back here on a water break. I'm here with Jackie. Hey. And Justin. Hello. And we are here today with Susie Harloff and Matt Carraher, who just got to attend the WGI Advisory Board meeting where new rules were voted on and proposed and accepted for next year's WGI competitive season. Uh, Matt, Susie, great to have you on the show.
5: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us. Cool. So uh, we'll be jumping into things here. I guess we can. Uh, we'll kick things off because I'm a percussion guy. Sorry, Susie, That's okay. <laughs> with uh, with, uh, with percussion. Matt, can you give us a rundown of the different rules that were adopted for next year's season?
6: Yeah, sure. So uh, we ended up, there were six proposals that were on the docket, and three of them were withdrawn before we ever got to the advisory board. So mm-hmm. uh, the three that were, were voted on, um, the first one was uh, pretty inconsequential. It was to create a committee to review the concert class sheets. And, um, you know, one of the first things we were told when we sat down in the meetings was we're already doing this. The The steering committee was already planning on it. So mm-hmm. that was passed. Um, and actually the, the representatives that were there for concert class uh, units were able to break out at one point during the meetings to go sit and kind of just chat amongst themselves and, and right. talk about this is what we want to see from the sheets and, and where we want things to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the first one. Uh, the second one was uh, an amendment to everyone's favorite rule 4.2.1 uh, regarding electronic triggered sounds. Yes. Oh.
0: This is and the big one that I've, I've kind of heard about a little bit.
6: Yeah. So the the rule that was voted on and passed is now um, any, any vocal track, Uh, which includes singing. It used to be just, uh, just narration could be a single Mm -hmm. trigger. Now singing can be a single trigger as well. So um, something can, can have rhythmic intent if it's created by the voice. Okay. Uh, That That was the second one. Yeah.
0: Okay. What is something, how strictly like, do they define a vocal sample? Um, Is it, is there a, because it just seems to me like that opens the door to a lot of possibilities now that you can have rhythmic intent in your sampling electronically. Um,
6: well, and so that was brought up because um, it, the the rule the rule could potentially read that you know if somebody wants to beatbox or something like that that it's created by the voice, yeah, so it
0: exactly it, yeah
6: right. But but the way that it's written, it's it's only for spoken word or song word it has to be it has to be words it can't be just like any vocal sound that you make
0: so it has to be words that makes sense yeah i think that's that's a good workaround maybe someday someone will figure out like a a loophole way to do something and then we'll have another discussion then but i think that sounds like a pretty airtight seal for now at least what's the uh, third rule that was proposed
6: uh, and the third one was uh, to lower the minimum performance times. So uh, now A class's minimum performance time is is three minutes. Uh, open class is three and a half minutes, and World class is four minutes.
0: Okay. And what were the previous? Do you remember?
6: Uh, previously, it was it was four minute minimum for all classes.
0: Mm. Okay.
7: Mm. All right.
0: Um,
2: Matt, that's I super need...
0: interesting. I mean, I definitely go ahead yeah i was gonna
3: say i just i haven't met you before i need to know something about you so can we run sure a little history on matt about how about maybe like 32
0: counts (laughs) (laughs) oh you're so correct I, i blared right past it yeah no wait please catch us up to speed matt um i think we've we've talked about this bit a million times on the show before um would you be ready to give it a try?
6: Yeah, let's go for it.
0: All right, you'll get eight and in from the Met.
6: Okay. All right, so uh, my name is Matt Carraher. I am the percussion director at Henfield High School, uh, which is right outside of Lancaster in central Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been there for four years. Before that, I was a high school band director for seven and a half years at uh, Central Dolphin High School in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Ooh i uh, been teaching in the central Pennsylvania area for, you know, 16, 17 years now. I um, have my undergrad and my master's in music from Messiah College, and uh, I'm also the uh, president of KIDA, and as of two weeks ago, I'm uh, now on the board of directors for WGI. Wow.
0: Congratulations.
2: Nice. Congratulations. Well
0: right. done. It's, it certainly seems like you're taking your role seriously because you gave us a fantastic rundown of the uh, percussion rules changes. Um, something I thought was cool altogether. It seems like, uh, when it's not like a super salacious, like a rule that people are going to get up in arms about, they're really letting like the community, it affects figure things out for themselves, like uh, in the, in the concert rule. Would you say that there's that sort of flexibility is, is common for the advisory board? They're really letting the people that the rule affects kind of determine the way the rule is going to pan out in the future?
6: Yeah, I think one of the cool things about the advisory board meetings is, you know, we're told multiple times from the administrators that are there that um, th- this board of representatives is what decides the direction of the activity for the next year. And so it's it's very open uh, for, for anybody that's there to to bring up, you know, concern, support, different things like that. And, you know, at least in percussion land, the the really cool thing about this year was there were so few proposals that we had a lot of time to really Hmm. kind of dig in deep on things.
0: Right. Um, And it sounds to me like a lot of the digging deep was probably for that second rule change. Uh.
6: Yeah, that was a a spirited debate for sure. Um, (laughs) And surprisingly, actually the, the minimum, Uh, performance times for for tiering the classes that was uh, there was a lot of debate about that one too
0: okay well i want to come back to these in a moment um but let's also catch up uh with the wgi wins proposed changes as well Mm -hmm. Susie, could you uh give us a rundown of what was discussed for wins for next year
5: Yeah, absolutely. So they had eight proposals. Two of them were withdrawn before voting happened. Um, The people that proposed them just really wanted discussion to happen. They didn't really want any rule changes to happen. So that that occurred. Mm -hmm. Um, So six things did um, change and some of them are not really worthy of talking about. Two of them were like wording corrections. They adopted new sheets last year and they just had to correct some wording on them. Mm -hmm. One of them was aligning the size of the competition area to match percussion Um, because so many of the winds and percussion shows Mm -hmm. are hosted together. So they wanted to just make that consistent. And then there were a couple of rules passed about sound systems. And, you know, winds is such a new division there every year. (laughs) It is evolving. And we have learned that the importance of sound systems for indoor winds, because most groups don't use percussion, they rely solely on the sound systems to provide a you know, kind of a click track, I guess, and all the background sound effects. So because independent world does not have an age cutoff, they don't have an age limit, kind of like independent mm, world okay. color guard, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, there was an issue where the rule mentioned that only a pers- a performer could be m- pushing buttons and stuff on the sound system. But in independent world, you have adults <laughs> performing. And so there was right. like, Is that a staff member? Is that a, you know, performer? And so they just kind of cleared up the language in that so that there were no unnecessary penalties. Um, And then if a sound system has like a catastrophic failure in the middle of the show, allowing um, an instructor to go out during the show to deal with it, it would still be a one-point penalty to try to discourage people from taking advantage of that rule. But that just kind of helps the success of the groups knowing that if something goes wrong, it can be fixed. The big proposal um, that had the most discussion was changing the minimum number of performers. Now, every Mm -hmm. proposal that they talked about, really, the goal for WINS is growing the activity. It's still so new. We want people to be involved. We want, you know, they want the WINS division to grow. So every discussion was, is this rule proposal, if we accept it, is it going to help WINS grow long term? So this one was, it used to be you had to have a minimum of 10 performers on the floor. And the proposal was to reduce that to five. Um, There was just a lot of discussion about, well, five people or five wind performers, you know, because winds, some winds group use color guards, some winds group use percussion players, you know, what does that mean? And so it ended up being five wind players minimum. And that's really just to kind of encourage these groups that are just starting you know, to be able to get in. And there was discussion about, um, like, do people want to watch five wind people on the floor? And it was just like, well, with the growth and development of sound systems and the backtrack and how that can support even small ensembles, yes, you know, it could be really great. You can can imagine Tarpon Springs. I'm not saying anything about Tarpon Springs. I don't know if they're ever doing winds. But if you watch them this winter guard season, (laughs) yeah, like, a small group of great win players on that winter guard floor and it was like that could be a win show so that you know that discussion was had and and it passed so now you can have a minimum Mm. of five so that's kind of the update from the wins world and like I said just a lot of the discussion this weekend was just how can we grow the activity because a lot of people still don't know what it is a lot of people have hang-ups about it you know the money, the staffing, the rehearsal space, the is it going to hurt my concert band, you know, all of these discussions, and how can we get the word out there that it is just beneficial and worthwhile. So what did that's it from Wind's World.
3: Well, what was, I, I kind of want to know, dive into that a little bit of, what was the conclusions that some of them have come to? Because, you know, I work with a lot of small bands. Like, everybody I work with is pretty much small bands. They're rural a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. their concern has been that just, like, they they don't see the value of marching year round. They think, okay, we need to sit down mm-hmm. and and focus on our concert, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know, and then just do our marching in the summer and fall. And and I'm like, I think there's value though in also having a marching program. What were some of the thing? What were some of the different sides of that in the, that were discussed that yeah. might well, be helpful?
5: All the people in the room, we all have wins groups, so we are all like 100 percent for it. And obviously, <laughs> there's no research out there. But, you know, from the experience of all the directors in that room, they're saying my kids are by far better players because they are playing constantly. Like not only are they playing right. in their winds rehearsal, but then they go to their wind ensemble rehearsal and they're still playing. So their chops are stronger. And then the element that WGI winds has of, of having to train the kids how to perform, you know, like how to connect mm, to the mm-hmm. audience, how to how to create emotion and and how that translates into when you're sitting in concert band it 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 makes them better performers in the concert setting as well. So, I mean, those of us who have done it have nothing but positive things to say about it. I mean, like, is it hard work? Of course. Is it extra time? Yes. Is it extra effort? Yes. But the kids love it. The program it has no, done nothing but benefit our program. So we're just hoping more people can take that leap of faith and get involved.
0: right matt actually i want to kind of tack on to the same idea that we were that susie's discussing here percussion is at a bit of a different stage in its development than wins is would you say that percussion has the same explicit goal of growing the activity when it changes rules if not what were some of the goals that the advisory board was discussing as they figure out what conclusions they want to reach
6: yeah I, i mean i think there's always uh, an emphasis on growing the activity because uh, even though you know percussion is is bigger than than the winds program at, at this time, um, you know there's still definitely room for growth um, not not only in WGI but in kind of the local circuits across the country as well. And um, so you know I think there's always an emphasis on on growth. Right. Um, a, a lot of the emphasis this week uh, f- for percussion was um, more so based on. Um, let's let's take a hard look at the at the sheets, at the rubrics, and uh, uh, are we being adjudicated the way that we want to be adjudicated? Um, mm-hmm. So there was a um, again because we had so few proposals, there was a, enough time to, to sit through and go caption by caption and just have a, an open forum discussion on what do you like about the music sheet? What don't you like? What do you like about the, the Viz sheet? What don't you like? And so on and so on. And uh, so there's a, a really big emphasis on just making sure that, you know, the membership uh, is, is happy with the, the way that the adjudication process works.
0: That's really interesting. Um, could you give us maybe an example of like uh things that they do want to reward versus things they don't want to reward, or at least the conversations that were being had around those sorts of ideas?
6: Well, yeah, a lot of the conversation kind of steered its way into, we love the sheets, we don't always love the way the sheets are interpreted. And um, so, you know, and and that's, it's a subjective activity. That's the way Mm -hmm. it's always going to be. So um, a lot of the conversation on, on that side was sort of geared towards um, how, how, can we, how can we create better training for the, the judge community so that we can take this subjective activity and make it a little more objective and, and you know, make it a little more clear as to, to what they're looking for in terms of how you design a program, what, you know, what skills are, are being defined as basic skills, intermediate skills, advanced skills, and different things right. like that.
0: Speaking from the member experience, having just recently aged out, that was what we all want, too. So it's uh, it's cool to see that the alignment between the people all the way up making the decisions at the advisory board, it really is in alignment with what the boots on the ground and air quotes want from the activity as well. We all just wish that there was more of a, a concrete way to evaluate and, and just trust that you're going to get... The same realistic result from show to show, um, maybe not as much in WGI because you have one big competition at the end of the year. But in DCI, all the time it would have been like, ah, "I this judge feels this way, this judge feels that way, and I can't satisfy everyone." So finding well, more objectivity.
6: Yeah, especially when you get to the to the top level to the world class groups, it's everybody is so good, and mm-hmm. and you know, everything's clean. So it's it's really, it just comes down to personal preference from time to time. And, and I think, you know, trying to, trying to steer the activity in a way that you can sort of avoid that and make it a little more objective. I just think that makes it a little more black and white for everybody.
0: Right. So I'd love to open this question to both of you. Um, was there anything discussed? Maybe it's not a rule change for this year, or maybe it was a rule change that was, Uh, knocked down for this year, or or I pulled back, I forget the exact word you guys used, but is there anything interesting that maybe didn't make it into this year's rules that you think could be interesting in the future?
5: Yeah, I can jump in with um, one of the things that was withdrawn um, was the process of evaluating if a group is in the correct class or not. Again, with such a new activity like winds, and every year winds changes and what the kids are doing, it's like it's it's always evolving. And so these new groups coming in that want to get started, a lot of them are like, well, I don't know what class I'm supposed to be in. And they do have a process in place, but the person who brought up the proposal wanted it to more align with what the percussion world does. And I'm sorry, I don't know all the details of all of that. Like I think right now it's Mm. our – the chief judge and someone else that kind of helps make that decision. And I think percussion might use like a committee to evaluate if people are in the right class. So we, they talked about that for a long time and the person who brought the proposal was like, I just want discussion about it. I want people to know that it's, you know, it's an issue helping people Mm -hmm. determine. And then mid season when you realize this, they should be bumped up or these people really should be moved down. But like, how does that all work? So we'll see where that goes in the future, but they tabled it um, just to kind of see what happens next season, I guess.
0: It's interesting a little because I feel like uh, since they're at different stages in their development uh, from activity to activity, I could imagine a world where it makes sense to have a committee for percussion, but it might make sense to have more of a small, like one chief judge and some team of, of people that are proposing uh that an ensemble gets promoted it it maybe it would make sense that they shouldn't have the exact same system right now right or maybe it would make sense that they should
5: right Uh, it's not
0: on my head to decide but
5: yeah and there was a lot uh, of it's
0: certainly uh, interesting to think about
5: a lot of discussion from all different points of view on that one so it was really interesting well, I think that's good.
0: Jackie or Justin. To, yeah. Oh, I was just going to
3: say I think that's good cuz it gets kind of people thinking and and getting ready for next year. You know, maybe they can spend this season thinking about it and really coming up with some good options and then next year approach mm-hmm. it, you know, with a with a, a better situation in mind.
5: Mm-hmm. And and hearing all those different
8: viewpoints yeah, and then kind of
5: going through this season and then seeing what proposals come out of that next year. Yeah, for sure.
8: Um, I've got a question that kind of popped into my head when, um, Matt, you were kind of discussing things and brought up like the um, local circuits. Um, and this question is actually for both of you. When these committees are meeting, I know it's a WGI thing, but how much discussion – because a lot of the um, local circuits mirror or try their best to mirror what WGI does to kind of you know make everything – Work cohesively. How much did that factor in those discussions? Like were the small circuits kind of in the mix in the discussion, or was it kind of more of we're here for WGI. We're just discussing what what to do with our kind of thing?
6: Um, I can jump in from from a percussion standpoint. so um, we there wasn't a ton of discussion about the local circuits specifically. Um, but there was significant discussion brought up on how the rules proposals affect the lower classes and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, a, and then the sub a, like the regional a classes. Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, the point was brought up a few times, especially discussing like the, the electronic, uh, trigger rules and the minimum performance time rules is, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, these things might change the landscape of, of world class a little bit, but it's going to make the activity way more accessible for the A-class groups, for the regional A-class groups, uh, which make up the vast majority of this activity across the country. And um, so there, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of discussion sort of based towards those groups, um, not as much about the circuits, but um, I, I, I know like our local circuit, uh, we have sort of like a reciprocity with uh, WGI rules that the the board can adopt any rules that WGI uh, brings forth since our, like our rules Congress is before WGI rules Congress, mm-hmm. um, just whatever they, they decide um, we can adopt those rules automatically into our rule book as well.
5: Wow. Yeah. There was um, quite a bit referencing the local circuits in the winds room um, mostly because there were far more groups in the wins division that competed locally, but did not come to WGI championships for whatever reason or another. So we're talking about the positiveness in that, that locally they're growing. Um, But then also just, yeah, just making sure that any rules that we pass because most local circuits take WGI rules, just to make sure that it doesn't impact them negatively. And the, the one rule that passed about the, the size of the competition area and aligning it to percussion, I think that rule was directly proposed for local circuits to make sure all local circuits have the same competitive size floor that is expected at WGI.
2: So.
8: Awesome. Well, that's great to hear that, you know, uh, that wasn't a forefront, but it's always thought of that Mm -hmm. those local circuits aren't being um, forgotten when we're making these changes. Because you're right, you know, a lot of those lower groups um, are not coming to WGI, but are still affected by those choices that WGI makes. So that's really awesome to hear that, um, you know, they were part of the discussion.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, actually, because I think I myself, at least I can only speak for myself, but I get caught up in world class and I don't think about the uh, like lower ensembles, at least outside of whatever high school I'm teaching really at all, especially when I'm thinking about rules changes. I'm almost only ever thinking about the top scholastic and independent world ensembles and how they're going to be impacted by the most minute little change. Meanwhile, it'll have downstream ramifications for groups that don't even go to WGI. Mm-hmm.
6: Um, well, and that was a really interesting part of the the makeup of the percussion advisory board because it's um, it's the top five uh, groups from A class and Open class get a, a seat, and then all of the world class finalists. So the the majority of the room is world class finalists, and um, so that's you know kind of an interesting thing that. Um, the the conversation is certainly steered towards how do these things affect the the world class groups but you know that's why that's why we're there from our a class groups to say well right. you know this also affects <laughs> all these other people too yeah
0: yeah it's almost like my old government class like a system of checks and balances <laughs> at the wgi right. advisory board for sure um
6: it's likely
3: we well, that I think we're getting to reason. that point in
0: our show <laughs> it always comes back to bite you those um we uh we're getting to that point in the show here i think we want to get to our gush and goes which is the part where we let our guests have a minute or so some time to just uh gush and go on about whatever you want to relating to your band world uh it's it's your platform to speak about whatever you want uh matt what would you want to gush and go on about this week
6: oh gosh this is i need to think about on the spot hurry Um, go go no i'm
5: just kidding (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
6: Um, you know, I think the, uh, just the, the biggest emphasis for me from the, the advisory board was, um, I I think that there's a lot of groups in the lower classes that, um, there's, there's more and more accessibility coming to them in this activity. And I think that that is something that is really important that for, for unit directors, if you're like have a regional A group or an A group or whatever, um, and you've never gone to a, a WGI event, like it, it's way more accessible than than it ever has been for you to go and and get that feedback and get your students that experience. Um, I, I can say from my personal standpoint, the first time you take your your group to um, to a regional or to WGI championships, it it completely changes the game for for your students and because they mm-hmm. they just this perspective opens up for them of of what, you know, they, they see what the, what the big fish look like in the big pond. And um, I think that's, that's a great opportunity for anybody and for any program. And, and I think it, you know, it's not just good for, for your indoor drum line or your indoor winds or your color guard. Um, It helps with your marching band program. It helps with your concert band program. It helps with your jazz program. Um, It just, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's the best thing anybody can do for their groups is, is, get yourselves exposure on that bigger stage.
0: Yeah. And that's basically all you're doing at its core is just inspiring your students. You're showing them what they could strive to be and that it's attainable. There's high school students out there doing it or, you know, just a couple of years after there's some, uh, students that are really passionate and just will take it to new heights in the independent side of the activity as well. So I couldn't yeah. agree more. Um, well, Susie. And the, the, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. You can no, i was just gonna up. say, like, the
6: other side of that too. Like, for for students to keep in mind that, like, those those groups that you're just amazed by, like, they have the same struggles that you do. It was, mm-hmm. well, I think my favorite part of the whole weekend was listening to John Mapes talk about how much uh, the synth players struggle at Pulse with electronic triggers. And I'm like, man, that makes me feel so much better that right. if the Pulse synth. Sith players are struggling, and ours are. It's like, you know what, guys? You're gonna get it. You'll be okay.
0: Exactly. No, that's super cool to hear. That's a that's a really humbling thing, a, a little bit. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Susie, what do you want to gush and go on about this week?
5: Well, since we're talking about indoor winds, I just want to gush about indoor winds, and just it's such a fantastic activity. And if you have never heard of it, or you don't know what it is, or you're winds curious to like get on YouTube and find some shows and check it out. And just, (laughs) it is life changing for these wind players. They have watched their color guard and percussion friends be able to do this activity. And now they have the opportunity to do it. And it is just, it's life changing. And one of my favorite things about the wind advisory meetings um, a couple weeks ago was the camaraderie among all the directors, which absolutely translated to the camaraderie among all the kids. Like our kids They love performing. They love competing, I guess, but what they look forward to the most is interacting with kids from other schools. And um, it's just such a great environment. And I just hope we kind of, for me personally, for our schools, keep that going into the marching band season as we head into something, you know, back to that really hardcore competitive arena, that it's just the kids love doing this and they love meeting kids from other schools. And just to kind of keep that perspective of what we're providing for our kids. Well that kind of tangented off onto something else. I'm sorry, but I was gushing, so that's
0: what happened. <laughs> that's how it that's works. what you're supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, just to tack to it. I literally remember being in high school and that was the coolest thing. It was like, Ah, cool. uh, I know those guys up at Oldbridge. That that's the other big school around here and uh we always, it was like, you kind of had beef, but it was also you were kind of really excited to meet them every time that you, mm-hmm. you actually got to cross ways with them. Yeah, It's a, it's a cool, it's a cool experience. And that is actually what it's all about for sure. Um, but yeah. yeah, thank you guys for coming on the show. Um,
8: yeah. So Hey Matt, uh, why don't you go ahead and drop your socials? Where can people follow you or see what you're up to all that fun stuff?
6: Totally. Yeah, you can follow my group. It's um, hype.indoor, H-I-P-E.indoor. Uh, that's our, our Instagram handle, Facebook. Um, my personal socials, I post once a year to say happy birthday to my wife, so it's not very interesting. But uh, you can kind of catch all the content of, of what we're doing throughout the fall and the winter on, on our Instagram account there.
8: Very awesome. cool. How about you, Susie? Where we, where can we find you?
5: Cool. Well, I'm going to start with, um, I run the TikTok page for Avon Bands, and just because there's a lot of Indoor Winds content on there, if you kind of want to see what's in there, if you follow at The Mighty Avon on TikTok, it's super fun. But personally, my husband and I have a YouTube channel called The Harloff Hub. Harloff is spelled H-A-R-L-O-F-F, and that is hub as in the hub at Walt Disney World. Nothing else. Okay. Um so we have some we have a lot of content on our YouTube about wins um and marching band and all that stuff. So and a little bit of Carolina crown sprinkled in there as well. So that's kind of fun. And that's also our Instagram handle, the Harloff Hub. So
8: Um I highly recommend the the TikTok. Uh, being from Indiana, I've been following that since Yay! it popped up on my For You and I did not realize you were the, but, like, now it makes so much sense as I'm watching them i I'm, like, I'm, I'm old
5: like, and I run the TikTok <laughs> page and it's so fun
8: But the content, now knowing that you run it, Susie, I'm like, oh my gosh, everything I've ever watched on there makes all the sense in the world now. You are doing a fantastic (laughs) job, and I want to give you props, and everyone (laughs) needs to follow it. It's amazing. Thank
3: you. (laughs) Okay, well, we are going to take full advantage of our guests here. So, percussion, I'm going to have you guys go with Matt down to the end zone real quick. And uh, anybody who plays a wind instrument and might want to sign up for winds... Go see Susie, and then let's uh, get back out on the field. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for coming.
7: Cool. Thank you, Jackie, Stephen, and Justin. Now let's go to the Culligard world. I have Christopher McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy. Who are you? Christopher McCarthy, how are you? (laughs) Good, are you? I'm good. So we're going to talk about all the rule change and the interesting stuff that you saw up close. But first, we do a 32 count life story where there's going to be a Dr. B and you try to race through your life in 32 counts. Are you ready?
4: Yes, I'll do the best I can.
7: Cool. Let's go.
4: Hi, my name is Chris McCarthy. I grew up in upstate New York, where I did color guard in the Binghamton area growing up in oh, a guard called Special Winter Guard as well, and the Brigadiers. Um, I am currently the color guard director at McNeil High School in Austin, Texas, where I also am a one of the co-directors of Origins World's Color Guard, and I am now the one of the co captions at Ten Regiment of the Color Guard.
7: It's not enough. Do you have a brother, a sister, a mother? Do they matter? <laughs> I
4: mean, they all matter. I love My mom and dad are still around the little upstate New York. And I have no. three siblings. And I have a dog named Charlie who I love and miss dearly. Um, yeah, and I love coffee.
7: Oh. Don't so. we all? So yeah. cool. So you're not the one yeah. doing the Dunkin' Run, are you?
4: Um, we take turns. We take turns. A lot of Dunkin' Runs. A lot of, a lot of Starbucks mobile, app, mobile orders. Just on oh, the yeah. go all the time. Yeah, of course. Try to stay awake.
7: Yeah. So you were at the. How do you call it? The I call it the Vegas and the.
4: Um. We. I mean, I guess like I guess by now when we, you know, we're like we'll see in Vegas. We just know that that's where the WGI uh, advisory meeting is going to occur out there Mm. in uh, Las Vegas.
7: Yeah. So you were there with Origins, and were you representing Origins World or Open? How does it work now that you have two groups represented there?
4: Um, so I, I'm a director <laughs> of Origins, along with my friend Jeffrey Sperling. We're actually the co-founders and directors mm. of of the uh, of, of Origins, the um, the premier color guard that came out in 2018 when we were in world, when our we open class. Um, yeah. We now have um, we now have uh, three color guards we're going to bring out. We have not announced the a, a directors yet. They're going to be announced in the near future. Um, yeah. But we have the open color guard who is on the direction of Tikeem Rainey and Kim Boer who uh, actually the open Guard is a guard I primarily design and stage um, the last few years. Um, and the world guard is under the direction of myself and Jeff. And we've just been doing this now since two, we started the guard in 2017. Um, at the advisory board meeting this year, uh, Jeff, there's you only have one representative vote. Uh, Jeff yeah. did the voting this year. Um, we'll probably take turns and switch next year. Yep. Um, I, I was a voting member also with McNeil for a couple of years so I've been at the table several times um, and this year was a different because we weren't at, in the old um, uh, resort we used to go to as a different resort it used to be kind of a round table discussion type thing and we had everyone was kind of facing the same way this time and um, Ooh. It actually it was kind of nice because we're all mixed and all had tables and stuff like that.
7: Okay so you still voice your opinion but Jeff was doing the voting.
4: Oh, yeah. like Yes. Jeff did voting. I mean, we we talk about I mean, there's most of the things to the years when they come out like we kind of know where we stand on those. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's it's possible for Jeff and I to differ in our opinions. But I, I mean, everyone in that room should be um, voting for what's best for the activity as a whole and yeah. not necessarily what's best for you yourself or your group.
7: Yeah, of course. And how how do you feel? Like, do you feel like everyone took the time to, or were there rules or proposals that took more time or discussions? Or
4: oh yeah, just... there's definitely there's like sometimes. So on, on the way it happens is on Friday night is the first, um, the first round of meetings start. So at two o'clock in the afternoon, there's actually just a caucus primarily for a and open class, um, because if you're not aware, the WGI advice board is composed of. The top 15 finalists from independent and scholastic world, so yep. there's 30 groups representing, and mm-hmm. then it is prime that is made up of the top five from A and open classes, therefore yeah. making about 50 people. So, mm-hmm. um, we start with the A and open caucus meeting to talk about any proposals that might pertain to A and open, mm-hmm. um, because you know the people in that room kind of know more about what they need or what's going on in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, most world class people do too, because a lot of people yeah. design and teach those other teams too, but. Um, then on Friday after that, after we have the A and caucus meeting, we then decide what we then vote on what proposed going to go to the floor. Um, and then I believe this year, I'm pretty sure maybe all but one, I think all of mine went to the floor. It's, it was a long weekend, and then back to jump course. So, um, yeah. and then we we voted on them on Saturday. And so that they sometimes meet, sometimes you vote and you talk about them for like five minutes. Some talk about an hour.
7: Oh yeah. All right, cool. So looking at the proposals that, uh, failed or that how do you what's the right word for the when it passes when it passed. um it's (laughs) thank you so so like it really sometimes we're like half and half some of them were really really close we can go like in order of which one uh of the number of proposals but you can go like because i know that some of them went like yes in link of the other or made more sense with the other proposals type of thing
4: right i mean what yeah absolutely i mean what's what's interesting about this year is there's been years right by there where there's like 25 proposals and this year yeah. i think there's about 10, mm-hmm. 10. i mean there was a much shorter year compared to years past and yeah. we've gone in that room a long night but i mean honestly just going down the list should be fine i mean there are some that change to some and not to others but yeah um you know those are the rather poor obviously starts from number one down to the bottom so
7: yeah yeah cool so let's go so the first proposal was actually a fail and it was uh, qualification of world championship uh, to add the group competing independent world and open. So not for the A class must achieve the regional minimum qualification scores. And I'm almost thinking that that was something before, or maybe it was not like a low score that you were not allowed to go to championship, but maybe that's.
4: Well, years. I'm, I know. I'm, I'm not sure. I think there was uh, from what I remember in the room, there was a discussion at one time in the years past about that being something like no at regionals, it's a thing. I mean, regionals mm-hmm. you have to usually make a um certain score to go on to finals. And usually yeah. that scores, you know, fairly low. Um, you know, the spirit, the reason why this failed is, you know, one of the reasons it was primarily brought up was because um world champions are just getting harder and harder again to too these days. I mean, it's just it's sell I mean, it gets registered, it fills up yeah. and um there's only so many hours in a day and so many judges to judge without passing out by the time you're watching the last yeah. color guard i mean these these judges are doing so much work for higand
2: mm-hmm.
4: um so they think the spirit was to encourage um to make sure people are coming to championships that really had a sh- had a, a fair shot oh, in yeah. the finals but then couldn't sign up because mm-hmm. there might be programs out there that were going to come and uh maybe not make it and that would have just mm-hmm. taken up time throughout the weekend mm-hmm. so um, the reason that we did fail, though, is that you know, one of the things we talked about in the room was is that, that is there what is the sphere of activity if we are going to talk about not being able to display the art that you choose to bring and express that? So I don't think we're really ready to take away people's voices. I don't think that was the intent, the the, no, yeah. the at all, but I think we just want to make sure that people that wanted to come show us what they um create and perform that all have a fair chance, and not to mention, If you live somewhere in Texas or California, you already have to start paying for hotels and buses and flights like way ahead of time. A year
7: prior, yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah. You have to do that before the season starts. So it'd be hard to really say, you can't come.
7: Mm, No. Cool. Um, Then there were proposal number two, which was amended. So you can explain a little bit more about that. Um, But in the caption, AI equipment. And I think that's, for me, that's the most important rule that passed because I'm a judge geek but um i equipment and i movement maintained the seventy-one thirty uh factored emphasis and excellence in a class and expand the factoring percentage in regional a classes which would be 60 vocabulary and 140 excellence i like this
4: yeah no i think a lot of people i mean obviously it was a a large amount of people that voted yes Mm. um and it, there's just such a long conversation. There's a, such a large, I don't want to say controversy or drama or anything like that, but there's always been this special A class. So it's like, yeah. are people doing too much? Are they doing too little? You know, mm-hmm. it is about training. Mm-hmm. Um, but in really, end you know, the day, if you really watch closely to, I would say, at least the top 10 color guards, yes, there's several color guards in there. They're going to do um, open class skills or, you know, something advanced. But like yeah. really, the class is still about training. Yeah. And I think was that 7130, so, and if people don't understand what that means, that means that you're weighed more <laughs> on your achievement than you are in vocabulary. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, and I think that now that regional A guards are starting to become more and more appeared in yep. WGI regionals. because they were only seldom for years at regionals, there's a lot more, um, you know, that regional A class is a training for the A class. Yeah. You know, so you're trying to make sure they really have those basic skills down. Yeah. Um, so you're not trying to see these regional agars do crazy skills, you want to see them achieve you know, planes and tourney, you what know, all that stuff. And it's really, interesting really for,
7: easy. yeah, and it's interesting for the designers too, because they have a place to start. And I mean, of course, it's about the members and the training, but then you design accordingly. And if you start thinking of designing so much in vocabulary, because often it's uh, members that just left the field and they want to twirl like it's good for even them to cater to i i really like this i really think it's a
4: yeah i think it's it i think sense. it's a great yes absolutely and the reason it was amended is because it didn't it wasn't talking about sixty one forty for the regional originally and that was mm-hmm. brought up and we talked about that's something we talked about heavily in the A&E open caucus where you going to that so
7: mm. Mm. There was another one about classification, oh, my God, that word is hard for me. Um, you know, so, you know. <laughs> but the reclassification <laughs> review would be done by the Color Guard education, education director, the director of Color and the Color Guard judge. Uh, these will be independent evaluations without consultation with each other. So if I, I mean, we can go on. If three of the five instructors vote for uh, reclassification. So basically this means that it's going to be people from independent of the board or.
4: Yeah. So originally, I mean, I think for a while if, if I was actually not even, I learned so much about, um, not like secrets, but I, I kind of learned more about the inner workings <laughs> yeah. of like how things kind of work more when um, Jeffrey Sperling, like co-director is actually on the uh the steering committee mm. um so i kind of get a little more insight of like how things are just discussed and worked out without let me know i mean he's very good about not telling me the information that meets it's a yeah. need to know thing when you, you know talking about a lot of stuff so um but i i have learned a lot about kind of like you know how that process is and one of the things the steering committee does usually is also re- reviews and they watch a lot and i mean in yeah. videos i know his monday is primarily booked up of watching all these Guards regionals and just making talking about it, making decisions and
7: yeah, because I think only like three three years ago they decided for the top three of every A class in regionals and the top two every So it's so many color guards that they review just automatically because of classification.
4: Absolutely, yeah. and it's um it's just it's a lot. And I think I believe to my knowledge though before that, um I believe Ron the uh, CEO was mm-hmm. was part of that process. But you know one of the things that I think even he I think he just wanted to make sure that that he does not have be involved in that process that he's running WGI you know what I mean mm-hmm. so um so I know that like having those those three go through that and then the other the other sphere was making sure that the those three kind of reviewed them first mm-hmm. before they went on to the other five steering committee members because that is um that is going to be uh it's basically means like you basically have to have at least 75% of voting before you moved up. Yeah. And, you know, every year there's always controversy with um there's always controversy with like uh oh that, that guard shouldn't have been moved up yet, it's yeah. too early and this and that. Yeah, and the early I think they there. I think they really wanted to make sure there was just like a really thorough process to make mm-hmm. sure people didn't think that they were just getting bumped up just because. Yeah. I know it's a long process and rigorous. And so this kind of is like a really great system, I think, to make mm-hmm. sure it's as fair as it can be. Yeah. And as thorough as it can be. So
7: I think it's 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 good, too, to, that the groups can have an appeal. Um, but we'll see if any groups... Oh, well, know I guess we won't see because we won't know. But I'm curious to know if there's any groups that will have to go all the way to the appeal. But, yeah. Um, the four. There's about the appeal um, review committee. And that's right. the three new yeah, individuals that... Joined. So,
4: actually, yes, I kind of... I kind of combined three in a foreign accent because they yeah. were talked. They were talked about back to back and kind of simultaneously. So, yeah, that was kind of like part two was to make yeah, sure that.
7: And it makes sense that they were done together. Yeah. So I guess the second, the fourth one just went. The voting must have been quick because it just they make sense together, right? Um, Absolutely. Then there's a the video reclassification, which it's kind of the same thing, right? It's it's depending on weeks and you.
4: Yeah, wanna... there's a some. Um, yeah, they just. Yeah, I'm so sorry. You read it. I'm like not trying to cut you off. I'm just like. No. I also like I kind of took a quick power nap before this. So I'm like reenergized. It's been a lot of weeks. <laughs> um, so go ahead. I'm so sorry. You can go ahead and read and stuff. I mean,
7: Yeah, awesome. really quick. It says that any UN attending WGI championship uh, that will only be attending to WGI regional may submit a video for a reclassification review prior the attending prior to attending the regional. So I think that from what I understood is that for groups that. Go to really later regionals if they want to make sure that they're not going to be bumped up so close from WGI. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, Yeah, that's another. Yes, no, absolutely, that does make sense. I mean, I think that there's that's another top. That's another um topic about reclassification that comes up a lot is like getting when you get bumped in the timeline of the season, and some people just can't make it to an early regional because of either travel restrictions or mm-hmm. you know maybe they're like in the middle of a like a midwestern western state or they have to travel like 10 hours to get to regional and some it depends on when they land on the calendar so i think some people are just trying to make sure that they are you know that they can get some feedback slash um you know they can make sure that they can they can compete in the class they think they belong in and of course yeah. they're, they can always come with with appeals to that and conversations and stuff but you know once again i think it's just People are trying to do right by their kids <clears throat> and their team, by just in the right place. It yeah. was kind of another option.
7: There's two really quick. I'm going all the way down, but there's two really quick ones, which was just um, the maximum that can go up to 50 now, which good for people that can have 50 people <laughs> at their auditions. Um, and then the plugs that can be used for anyone from regional, AA, open, and world class because they're there. So that seemed like an obvious choices for you guys, but in the four other, because we are in a time crunch, but for the other ones, is there anything that seemed really, really, like, because some of them were disgusted, obviously, because it was almost half and half of voting. There's anything that stood out to you?
4: Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think, honestly, in the, um, I think of the name of, I think this is actually kind of, a, of an easier year to talk about Color Guard, you know, it mm-hmm. fluctuates year to year in the demands, but, you know, obviously, p- love providing power to all the Color Guards, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a there was a longer discussion about the forty to fifty rule, but this the it showed that basically only so many color guards, like I think under six color guards, had forty color members in their team anyway. So it's kinda mm-hmm. like if you think you can do it safely, go for it. But yeah. um, and besides that, just kind of scrolling through the ones that you had sent yeah. me just to refresh my brain. I mean, um, there's a lot of talk about uh independent teams kind of getting promoted that have two teams and then yeah. having to Beating us on our own team. So that's always going to be an ongoing conversation as the yeah. skills get higher. But it was overall a very positive experience and some great conversations happening in the room. Mm-hmm. So. Okay.
7: That's really cool. So, if there's anyone that wants to see all the ones, because we did skip a couple, but they're they're pretty well explained. You can go on the site of wgi.org and see the proposals. There's also on Facebook where Dell Powers did a little overview of the rules and and maybe the philosophy that were behind why they passed or why they failed. And um, and yeah, if you're in any interested behind any of the. How WGI works, just go on the website. There's so many information and you can get to know a little bit more of the behind the scenes if you're not as lucky as Christopher to go to Vegas yet. So, yeah. So, thank you, Christopher Chris. I hope to see you soon. Wink, wink.
2: Absolutely.
4: Yes. No, it's been fun. I'm so glad you guys have had me on and um, I've enjoyed, I've listened to several episodes of you guys. I really enjoy the stuff that comes from this, this podcast.
7: Thank you. Really nice. Have a great summer. You too. Thank you.
0: So, everyone, what do you guys think of the rules changes this year? (laughs) Well, Nicole, I think you felt uh, some type of way about one of them. What were your thoughts?
1: Well, I mean, honestly, I'm just looking at them. But um, I was looking through and I'm like, okay, because rationale is always my thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's Mm -hmm. a reason for somebody to do that. But honestly, if the rationale fits the um, overall, you know well-being of the organization and everyone in then yes however <laughs> there is a rule change for to go from 40 to 50 performers on the mm, floor yeah and it just blows my mind it, it really does blow my mind because i'm just thinking of i think of things like okay there are floor sizes like for a smaller guard you do like a 50 by 70 and then like you can go higher than that by like Oh, I don't know. But the biggest floor I've ever seen is like the ninety by one twenty, I think, or ninety by what, something, ninety what, by one twenty. And what
2: gym is that gonna fit in? I
1: mean it, it, in the uni arena. I've <laughs> seen it I've seen it in a gym in a in a I've seen that that size floor in a gym before. Yeah, dangerous. Um it it I just mean, it goes the length of the floor, it goes to the wall. Most and then 50 by it,
2: seventy floors fill the gym.
1: 50 by 70 doesn't fill the gym. Most high school gyms,
2: yeah. (laughs) Oh,
1: okay. Then they shouldn't have a show in the gym. Um, (laughs) Let me just tell you that. Um, But like at Xavier, I think it was Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. I saw CGT the year they did the Comet show. And I think that that was a 90 by 120. And I was like, oh my gosh, that floor is like... Literally curled up next to the black curtain in the back. How hmm. much
2: does that weigh? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hopefully, they get the one out, you know, and not the thirteen ounce because, like, that's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but oh, I mean, if, if you can do it, do it. You know, that's my whole thing about it. If if you can do it, do it. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm. I guess I'm just excited to see how it's done. Is that for all classes now? um, Or just world class? uh, I think think it's all classes.
0: Yeah. I was going to say a lot of them are all classes because when we were talking to Matt, he was uh, kind of describing how they're usually thinking about like the A schools, even schools that don't go to WGI They'll be Mm -hmm. thinking about how the rule changes are going to impact them, not like how the rule changes are going to impact the groups at the top of world class necessarily, even though that's where like all of our heads always kind of want to go.
1: Right. Yeah, this is as I'm looking at it, this is for all classes. Mm. Um, I'm guessing and I mean, honestly, I'm wondering now it's just like, okay, well, if this is a rule that passes for WGI, obviously it's a rule that passes for like other circuits.
0: Yep. That's basically the way it usually goes. Once WGI takes a a rule, a lot of the regional circuits will just automatically adopt the rule so that they stay consistent for like the best groups in their region that do go out to WGI finals.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That would be another reason why if you have a gym that only fits a 50 by 70 floor, then... No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can remember performing with United sometimes in South Jersey, and it would just be like all of the corners of the floor are folded on themselves just to fit Mm -hmm. at the actual show. Not like we're just rehearsing somewhere.
1: (laughs) You know, you can look back at something like that and laugh, but I have done that before when I was performing and I was like, I don't want to toss under this basketball hoop. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's a little harder in Color Guard. I honestly didn't think about that. Um, There's a percussion rule change that I thought was interesting, too. Uh, What do you got, Steven? You'd no longer have to worry about rhythmic anything. You can have any length sample, any rhythmic intent, as long as it's vocals. If it's words being spoken and nothing else, you can just trigger it and let it go. And you don't have to worry about, like, is this going to break the rules because it feels like it's giving tempo to the ensemble?
2: Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know that that's a plus or a minus. Um,
0: I think it'll be a plus. I think it'll make it a lot easier for electronics to a trigger those samples they're talking about, but if it's easier for them to trigger those samples, they can be doing more other things too. I was just gonna
2: say, yeah, it does free up um, some some uh, some space for performers to do other things now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I totally expect people to be like litigious, like they're gonna be lawyers uh, about like figuring out how they can apply that rule as like broadly as possible.
2: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) It's. I think it'll. uh, (laughs) Exactly. Some, but someone's gonna find a cool loophole, and it's gonna make for a really cool show. I think that the shows will be cooler for that change. So I like it. Um,
1: it'll maybe piggyback, hopefully, piggyback on what we were talking about like way back um when we were interviewing um someone for the podcast about having an AI generated show.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You yeah. could you could have you could click play on your narration at the start of your show oh. and not touch it again theoretically until the end. You would just what? have to play perfectly in time.
2: Yeah, Which, watch. Someone's um, gonna do it. You <laughs> can yeah. already do that in in uh, at least our fall band circuit. Okay. Um, and ha- being a small band, we always take advantage of that.
0: Well, that's mm-hmm. really that was why they made the change. Was they felt like it would make the activity a lot more accessible for the smaller groups. Oh, that's good. Yep.
2: Yeah, I love that.
0: I agree. Okay. Um, well, we've got a lot more good WGI stuff to talk about. Why don't we go? We're going to get the guard stretched out over there, and we'll get ready because Carol Hattab is here, and she's got something to say.
9: Hello, everyone. It's Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arch, and the host of the Marching Roundtable podcast. It's a great summer, and we're in the middle of a series of podcasts about the 2023 DCI season. These podcasts are being released in audio and video versions, which you can find at our website. Already available are podcasts about the Cavaliers, who are celebrating 75 years with Where You'll Find Me, and the Madison Scouts, who share great advice about building a better culture in your organization. Out this week is our conversation with Carolina Crown, where I talk with four members of the design staff. And <laughs> listen to this. Rick Subel, the artistic director. Jeff Saktig, the visual designer. Michael Klesh, brass arranger and music director and Kevin Shaw, percussion arranger and sound designer. They were so nice to stop in the middle of spring training when we recorded that and talk to me about the show. We take you behind the scenes. You hear about how the show was constructed and then about how the members are bringing the show ideas to life this summer. The show is epic, as any show about Camelot would have to be. And then next week, I talk with music coordinator Mark Whitlock of The Cadets. We talk about their show, Atlas Rising and the strength and grit required by the Corps. I think you will be fascinated about how Mark describes the show, saying it's analogous to the past, present, and future of the Corps. The grit and strength required of Atlas Rising in relation to the past, present, and future of the cadets. This is pretty gritty stuff. Watch for other podcasts all summer from other DCI Corps, where we take you behind the scenes and up close including a conversation I recently had with Phantom Regiment visual designer Steven Estudio about their show, Exogenesis, which everybody is already talking about. It's a great summer of drum corps. And don't forget that you really need to see drum corps live. Go buy a ticket, sit in a stadium, make an effort to get there, because the live experience is really special. You can feel the energy and passion of the performers coming off the field. It's an experience unlike anything else Go see Drum Corps live. Happy DCI, everybody. Hope you enjoy our interviews all summer at the Marching Roundtable.
3: Okay, we are back on the sidelines. Everybody, make sure you got your water bottles and uh, sit over here. There's some space on this side. We are talking today to Carol Abelhatab, who is a 2023 wgi hall of fame inductee and i am so excited hi carol hi how are hey, you carol. hi nice
0: and we here. have
3: justin back with us today as well to do our interview hi justin i've missed you
8: oh i've missed you guys too it's great to be back <laughs>
0: But, Carol, uh, the very first way we always start out our interviews uh, is what we call your life story in 32 Counts. You'll have about 30 seconds while the Met goes behind you to catch all of us up to speed on who you are and what you've been up to your entire life. Are you uh, ready to give it a go?
10: (laughs) I will give it the good old college try. (laughs) You'll get
0: eight and in from the Met.
10: Okay, so... um... Let's see, started drum corps when I was about eight and a half years old, when my sister was in a drum corps in our local town in Enfield. I was in the feeder corps, and from there I went to 27th Lancers and uh, went to Winter Guards in the Northeast, and then migrated to Midwest and West Coast, where I now reside.
0: Oh, wow. And uh, have you been teaching out in the West Coast as well? Uh, um, since then?
10: Well, yes. I um, I actually thought I was going to stop teaching drum corps, um, so I marched in the Lancers after the my little hometown, and Jackie, you were saying you were from a little town. Um, I am too, Enfield, Connecticut, which nice. nobody has ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> I have not That's heard the, of it. <laughs> there were two drum corps there with two feeder corps, so it was a something to do, you know, wow. for wow. all of us just hanging out on the street corners. <laughs> and, um, and you know, from there, I I auditioned for the Lancers um, Rifle Line, and I was there for six years. And then my last year, I actually went to Star of Indiana, which, and a shout mm. out of, yeah. Star, of yeah, yeah, yeah.
8: Star of Indiana.
10: Yeah, their first my... year. Yes, my high
8: school
10: band
3: director was in Star of Indiana, too, so...
10: Oh, wow. Great. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I was uh, age out there, which was their first year 1985. And then um, I stayed there for quite a long time. I went to, I did my undergrad and, at UW Madison and I was in the State Street Review Winter Guard. And I taught there for many, many years until there last year. Um, and then I was teaching the Glassman um, 93 through 95, and in 96, I decided to go to grad school um, at Mills College right here um, in Oakland, and uh, so I moved to the West Coast, said I wasn't going to teach anymore, and Shirley Doherty called me up and said, I heard you're out here. Why don't you come teach the <laughs>
0: That's the way that a uh, drum corps always go, goes, isn't it? Once you try to step out, they pull you right back in every single time.
10: <laughs> yeah. It was a no brainer. I was, I was hook, line and sinker for since 96 pretty much. I mean, I've been with that organization on and off um, for till about 2018. So, yeah. Wow. yeah.
0: That's incredible. That's a, I'm I'm young and very recently aged out of the activity, so you you've spent, you know, close to my entire lifetime with Vanguard. <laughs>
3: I was, I was um, gonna say Steven, since Steven was born, you've been there.
10: <laughs> you all are youngins. Um yeah. Yeah. It it was a it was a long time in many incarnations of teaching different aspects. Um, at one point I started a children's dance program there and, um, you know, the winter guard for all 11 years. And, um, yeah, so, uh, I am with the Bluecoats now. I've been there since 2013, but I went back oh my. to the, very. Va- I did simultaneous, you know, kind of things, uh, for a couple of years in there. And, um, yeah, and I just started. Uh, I just went back to Spirit for the first time. Actually, my first drum corps teaching gig was Spirit of Atlanta in 1987. Scott paid me out of his um, out of his fee, and I went with Scott and Sal, Sal Salas, Scott Chandler, and Sal Salas, and um, mm-hmm. it my first chance to teach. So, gosh, thirty five. Six years later, um, that's older <laughs> than everybody on <out> here, maybe. <laughs> wow. Um, I just went back there just last week.
0: So you've been with so many ensembles. Um, how would you say your approach to teaching uh, is it influenced by each group? Is there kind of one rock from early on in your career that sort of shows up over and over again? how does all this big sphere of influence blend into who you are as a teacher?
10: Hmm, That's interesting because I grew up with drum Corps in the days when it was, you know, pretty hardcore. I mean, there yeah. wasn't sure. water, there weren't water breaks, you know, every 15 minutes. <laughs> and I think that's a great thing and and we need that. Um, you know, but it was, it, it was kind of the I don't want to say like the survival of the fittest, but, but, you know, it was just a different time. And, and there wasn't, um, certainly there weren't all of the uh, resources available to us. And so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a George Zingali, Peggy Twiggs, um, Denise Bonfiglio person. I was taught by them at a very, very young age. I grew up with them. And so Denise is still, you know, one of my best friends. And um, I, um, you know, I guess I took with me, because when I first started teaching, actually at Vanguard, um, when my friend Mark Metzger and I took over as the caption heads, when Shirley uh, and Mike Turner left, um, we had Denise come in and help us. And, um, you know, she would say to me, stop yelling at them. (laughs) (laughs) and I thought wait isn't that how it goes and so um you know definitely there's been a learning curve also when I went and studied dance um Hmm. for that was gonna be my next topic I want to jump on yeah (laughs) oh okay if you want to go there but but that was part you go right ahead because I I think you're probably going where I want to (laughs) go um yeah, so so when I started studying dance seriously, um, because it was important to me to uh, not just to do moves with the equipment, but to yeah. learn it correctly first of all, teach it correctly, and then mm-hmm. um, have it become integrated like a marriage between the the equipment and the movement, so that the body. My whole thing was always that the it, you can't just make the equipment move without your body. So your body is, is an integral and an important part of it. And so I really, in Madison, I became a dance major and went on to grad school. Um, so I found that I taught differently after learning all of those principles, um, of of the body and the, just the kinesthetic awareness, um, the, the movement kinetics, all everything about it just really interested me so that it became part and parcel to the equipment as opposed to the other way around. So I just so have to say
3: you were literally my inspiration on that because understanding that, like, I could take dance classes and then come back and relate that to what I'm doing in Color Guard and understand Color Guard better, you know. Yeah just having that understanding that level is, is so, so fantastic. And, and I saw instructors like yourself, when I was in college, I saw you, you had gone through and you had the degree in dance and you had the master's degree in dance and you, you know, you had taken the time to step back to learn all of these things from the ground up. And, and that, you know, personally I went through and did the same thing when I was in college. I I don't have a master's I don't have any degrees in dance or anything, but just the fact that I felt like, I can go back and take, you know, uh, an entry level ballet course as a college student and learn all of these things, and then do some jazz and do some and just build on that and and use that for my color guard education too. So I that was going to be my question was how did you decide to go <laughs> that direction from color guard? So you've basically
10: answered me already.
2: <laughs>
10: it was well. It was also moving from because I, I was also in Winter Color Guard on the East Coast in um, Quasar and Erte, and those were, we moved, but it was it was different, it was a little bit different, and that's where I met Sadie, actually, and she was a dancer, so she mm-hmm. was kind of the first spark of, wow, this could be different, and then when I went to State Street, they were dancing, they, they were doing yeah. dance class, um, you know, The warm up and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) And then I rented a chorus line and, you know, after that, (laughs) I was right in. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Well, you said that we've been talking a lot about drum corn, but you've got big time involvement in WGI. You're being inducted uh, to the WGI Hall of Fame. Uh, What was more of your involvement on the WGI side of things uh, across your career?
10: Um, Well, it it started pretty early as well, because when I was about 12 years old, the little drum corps that I was in, um, Skip Gallant, who was actually a friend of Mickey Kelly's, um, had a color guard uh, about an an hour and change away. And at that point in time, we would drive there weekly for rehearsals on school nights <laughs> and my parents loved it. they saw how much I loved it and um you know so I was in Winter Guard from an early age and then um from the Lancers I I did I didn't do the I didn't march that many places I mean I performed with that guard and then Quasar and Erte and State Street my age out year when there was still an age out for world class and um at the time it was open was the highest. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and then I went on to teach. So, uh, Wintergard, you know, just was, was, and I can't even name, even if I wanted to, I couldn't name everywhere that I taught because there, <laughs> were, there were a lot of places, you know, high schools and things like that. Um, but once, um, I mean the Raiders, Emma Marquis, when Denise came to the Lancers, she then asked me to come to Emerald Marquis, and Jim Moore was writing there and choreographing, and I did uh, a lot of their technique, Jim did as well, and but they wanted, um, you know, just that balance of ballet and modern for their technical training, so I would do what Dale Powers called the voodoo warm-up. <laughs> a lot of improvisation and, and, um, he'd be like, Oh, there goes Carol doing her thing. <laughs> you know, it, it was, uh, that was, that was really great working. And that's where I met, um, John, Jim I had known because he was in uh spirit of Atlanta back then and also state street, um, in 89. And so, That was a great experience with Emerald, and then I came back to California and worked with um, the Raiders, uh, San Jose Raiders, from 2002 to 2005, and then Vanguard Winter Guard started, and that was it. (laughs) Right. I did some some high schools, but Vanguard Winter Guard was, you know, seven minutes from my house, and my my heart my heart was there.
8: Well, Carol, it's like listening to your journey is so amazing. You've touched on so many iconic um, groups throughout your like whole career. You've, you know, State Street, Emerald Marquis, Raiders. I mean, every time you mention someone new you've worked with, I'm like, wow, she's really been like on the whole journey of the development of our whole thing and what we do. Um, So I'm curious, since you've been able to kind of watch everything change and how this activity has grown um, and the different depths and the different directions we've gone creatively and all of that, what are your thoughts on the future? Like, where do you see this going? And like, what kind of ideas do you have that you're hoping to kind of bring with the groups that you're working with?
10: Well... You know what what really um thrills me, I will say, is that movement and it's not it's not me. I mean, you know, Scott and and Stanley and many others, Shirley and Stacey Lynn, you know, there's so many people that that, you know, started this whole movement movement or dance movement as it were. Sure. And um so I, I just, you know, as the years went on and we would encourage people to study and to get education so that they were more informed with their bodies, you know, I would be hell bent not to throw a rock and hit someone who studied, you know, even mm-hmm. in drum chords and, you know, the, the musicians now are, are so into it. There's no place I go that they don't expect to move you know, that they don't expect to dance. And, you know, Samia um, Mooney-Vanderkoff, she goes by Vanderkoff now, um, (laughs) you know, she's taken this and she's, you know, run with it, as has Katie Hopkins and, um, you know, people all over and their students. So, you know, I was a student of Scott and and Stanley to some aspect because I would, you know, be at conventions where he was at and things, Um, you know, and then students that I've had and, um, you know, others have had, That Casey Perkins, God, I used to watch the the blue knights warming up across the way in the, you know, nine mid nineties with the late nineties with the Vanguard and I would be like, What's she doing over there?
8: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I know that. I I, I've done that several times myself. (laughs) Uh, What's that? Oh, I said, I know that feeling. I've done that several times myself. I'll be warming up a group and I'll just look over to my side and be like, oh, wait, what are they doing? And completely forget what I'm doing with my group. So I totally get that.
10: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, Casey and Robbie Billings, you know, Robbie Billings was was one of the first um, drum corps kind of what we call. I don't like this term, so I'm not going to use it, but the musicians moving as well. Ah. Billings man with the blue, blue nights, you know, so, um, there's many, many others, but you know, it's, it's really cool. So my whole thing about where it's going is that I hope to see, I hope to see invention still happening and I know it is. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think dance and, and studying the body just adds layers to that. That um, allows people to do things that they didn't think they could do before without getting injured. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, there's also this tie-in with, you know, history and the old and how can mm-hmm. we elevate what was done in, you know, the creation of drum corps and the shows mm-hmm. and how they evolved and everything. How can we take those those older aspects and make them new again? And,
5: mm-hmm.
8: you know, I, think- I would say that's my favorite thing that's happening right now is the reflecting back on the past and how we can innovate it to look like, uh, yeah, I'm in love with all the creators out there who are, for however long, even if it's just like a five bar thing, it's this old school drill or the old school moving, and then they merge it together with today. I I am in love with that. And I too hope to see more of that. I think it's a really cool thing.
10: It's awesome. And it might be take, it might bring some of the, you know, it might bridge the gap between Mm -hmm. the traditional, you know, kind of mindset, people who want it to go back to where it was and people who don't want it to be anything (laughs) like that. (laughs) I'm hoping for that that merge all around.
0: (laughs) I think I could see that coming because I think even as a young person, a lot of us, uh, there's certain aspects of the activity before we were involved in it that we look back on. We're just like, wow, that's just so impressive and, and just so cool. So and they were the things n- none that inspired us. That us. We... Exactly. Mm-hmm. So sure. it's not wanting to get rid of the new, it's just uh, ready to look back and, and just mesh with all the best things that, uh, have been traditionally always a part of the activity as well. Um, We always wrap up these uh, these episodes uh, uh, by just doing something we call a gush and go. This is like about 30 seconds, a minute or so that you can just go on about whatever you want. Uh, It's your platform just to maybe talk about your ensemble or or whatever really you would want to tell our audience. So, Carol, uh, what would you want to gush and go on about this week?
10: I think I'm going to gush about all the people we get to meet how the activity makes the world smaller and also more connected. I think it's so cool that instructors and students I've had stay in touch and have even become colleagues. And I feel like everywhere I go, it's about two or three degrees of separation. Current students who have been taught by one of my students or by a colleague. We're just so fortunate to be connected in this way.
0: Um, It's been great having you on, Carol. Uh, We absolutely love getting the chance to interview people like you that just have such storied histories in our activities. So uh, thank you for coming on our show. Is there a place, a social media or something like that where our listeners could follow you or uh, see the things you're involved with?
10: Oh, um, well, I do have a website that I haven't visited in quite a while, but it's Open Spaces Dance dot com. Um, and I have my yoga, I over COVID, I became yoga certified. And so I do have some information there. And, um, and yeah, otherwise Facebook, Facebook is my name. Um, (laughs) yeah. And I think I'm open spaces dance on Instagram. So yeah. I'm going to go follow you right now. Oh, I'm gonna follow all of you away.
3: <laughs>
10: <laughs> so I remember the names, but no, thank you so much. This has I am humbled and grateful for the opportunity to um yeah, to chat with you all and to meet you.
0: Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank uh, you for it's coming. Been great it's great. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you
10: so much. <laughs> My pleasure.
3: Hey everyone, it's Ashley here. If you haven't heard already, we have a new podcast called On a Water Break in Rhinestones where Lexi Duda, an icon of modern baton twirling, is asking twirlers from all around about their experiences. Check out the newest episode where Lexi is on a water break with Stephanie McBurnett, a featured twirler at Texas Christian University. Stephanie tells us all about what it's like to twirl at TCU, including going to the national championship game this past season. This episode is already out, so head on over to listen
10: on a water break.
0: Man, talking to Carol was so cool. I uh, I love that we get to have guests on this show that are A, so experienced, but when they just talk about what they've done in their marching career, they're just like rattling off these incredible ensembles like the Blue Devils, Vanguard, Cadets, uh... And all these incredible names, too. It's such an honor to get to talk to some of these people that we get to bring in. Uh, right? But,
2: and, and Carol's just... I, I think, like, Carol in Color Guard. That, right. I mean, that's where as I, say, I see her name or hear her name, I'm like, it's going to have something to do with an amazing Color Guard. I know it. <laughs> she's, it,
0: an it
1: absolute, she's an legend. She's an absolute legend.
0: Yeah, she absolutely is. And she's so down to earth, too. She was so just really chill to talk to. She runs a yoga studio. She's, she's awesome. Uh, really loved getting to talk to Carol and for all you listening out there, be on the lookout. Now that DCI shows are starting both myself and all the hosts, I know Tom in particular, we're real excited to uh, watch these shows. We're going to put out a special episode, just reacting to what we see out there and, uh, really, really trying to digest all that content with you guys. But, uh, We'll be doing some more good DCI stuff coming soon. Tom, what do you think about it?
2: Uh, we're going to have some fanboy stuff happening this, this summer, right?
0: Yeah, I'm going to be fanboying. <laughs> we're going to get our freak on.
2: Went. We're going to talk. We're going to we're gonna be excited. We're going to be fans. We're not going to be judgmental. We're going to be fans. <laughs> Super fans, man. Yeah, I, I feel think...
1: like the kids today, they're stands.
0: A stan? I think this is the first time in my life, I'll say it. I think I'm a Blue Devils stan right now. And oh being raised on the East Coast. That's those
1: are, that, not those are right. heavy words.
0: Heavy words. Heavy but words. That's where my head's at today. We'll see where my head's at next week.
1: If you are for real stand, it's like, oh, I love them. Maybe not next week I don't, but.
0: that's Yeah, I'm standing for real. Uh, anyway, though, our hosts, we're coming in with some great news stories to both inform and entertain you all this week. Nicole, what do you got?
1: All right. So my uh news story is that um Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas time parade, they're actually holding auditions for the um Toy Soldier Marching Band. Hmm. So that's coming back. Um, if you go on their website, there's a whole like <clears throat> It, you can literally Google Disney um, Disney Marching Band Toy Soldiers, but um, they have you know information for if you are local and how you'll do that. However, um, it's a online submission for um, for student musicians, so okay. uh, it's for Walt Disney World. <clears throat> the audition city is Kissimmee. Um, yeah,
0: okay, that's really close to Orlando.
1: Okay, um, so that's the audition city. Uh, it's going to be, or the deadline is Friday, July 14th at 1130 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So um, this audition, they're only seeking performers participating in the Disney College program. So this cross you opportunity is available to domestic college program participants currently in a program regular or extension or arriving on a program later than August 25th 2023. So they're not going to be accepting any performers interested in full-time, part-time or seasonal work at this audition. So they're kind of giving getting you to get in to the uh-huh. Disney college program at the same time which i've heard from a lot of people isn't a bad thing i mean i know of a lot of people I, honestly this is a great thing for like drum corps um indoor percussion uh you know color horn line people like it's it is right up our alley it yeah. is
2: advantage of yeah. much stuff as you can because the older you get the less opportunities <laughs>
1: True, true, true. So the Disney parks, um, they're seeking marching trumpet and percussion players for the traditional toy soldier for making Once Upon a Christmas, uh, Once Upon a Christmas Time parade, um, and that's going to be performed at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. So yeah. get your auditions in, folks.
0: Yeah, super cool. Go, uh, take the chance to apply your skills, do something fun, and I would imagine get paid. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh. Get Tom, your money. <laughs> get that money. Tom, what do you got this week?
2: Well, you know, it's drum corps. It's more drum corps, drum corps. And my favorite thing, other than going to a show, is watching it live. Oh, yeah. At home, on the couch, eating popcorn, <laughs>
0: not
2: swatting hey, mosquitoes yeah. and
0: whatnot. That's live in a sense. Yeah, Uh-oh. I
2: mean, you know what? nothing compares to being there but if you can watch it live on something cool like flow marching that's pretty good it's 30 bucks uh-huh. you can you get a ton of shows they're doing yeah. like 10 12 shows this year championships uh, you know in the past people have had a lot of, to say about flow but where else can you do it? You know, you can't get right. to a show. You,
0: you and and here's it. what I think too: thirty bucks. I pay more than thirty bucks for a ticket to one show. To
2: one show the and, the
0: and the, and the gas and the hot dogs. <laughs> oh God! Don't even get me started.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and it kicks off Thursday. This Thursday,
1: two days. <laughs> and they from course even... starts. They aren't even sponsoring us yet.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> they really... <laughs> they should be.
2: <laughs> should be. We should be doing touch, their shows. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Get Flow Marching. Flow Marching sponsor us. Uh, I'll be watching.
2: Um I'll be watching. I'm excited. Uh I you know, I love it. It's drum corps How can you me not? Me too,
0: man. I'm uh <laughs> I'm so happy it's finally coming around. It's like I'm a kid in a candy shop for the next uh two months.
2: Exactly. I'm I'm even more excited this year because in the past 10, 20 years, no one's really done in June with their shows. Mm-hmm. We're talking full on productions coming out Thursday night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the bar is already high. Everything I've been Real seeing, high. I'm like, man, these shows are good. And like, I'm not just saying that. I really do think it's a good year.
2: It is. There's a lot of creative shows this year.
0: For sure, man. Um, let me let me hit you guys with my news story. This one's pretty cool. Um, the Drum Corps Division of the St. Mary High School Cadets, which is a school in Jamaica, mm. they got yeah. a humongous boost recently uh, through a, a, a GoFundMe campaign where a group of past cadets from the school mm-hmm. presented their alma mater with instruments valued over a million dollars.
5: Wow!
2: Wow.
0: Yes, over a million dollars worth of instruments. They set out to raise approximately $7,677, according (laughs) to the article. The GoFundMe campaign brought home more than $1.1 million. That's awesome. Yep, they're really set now. Uh, We've got a little list. It's not a little list. It's a long list of the uh, things (laughs) that they bought.
2: That tells you right now, like, music is so important in the schools. I don't see math programs going out fundraising and, and, and people going way over the top.
1: Yeah, too.
0: Yeah, we don't have any here? seven-figure calculus contracts, for sure. Uh, but uh, it's awesome. What it says here, they... Uh, Items were sourced overseas. It includes a ceremonial mace with the school's name inscribed. Because <gasps> I suppose that's the type of stuff you buy when you get more than a million dollars extra right? than it's, you it's asked for.
2: jewel-encrusted! <laughs> yeah, probably. It better
0: be. Uh, two mace cords, two bass drums with carriers, five pairs of mallets, a bass drum sling, six tenors, 16 tenor mallets, 12 slings, only four snares, um... I guess they must really. They're overrated. I uh, love that. Uh,
2: it, it, and this is coming from a bass drummer. He just like only four snares. Yeah, you don't
0: need that many.
2: <laughs> One's enough. That's all you <laughs> need.
0: Uh, two cymbals, three G bugles, fourteen bugle slings, uh, five B flat flutes, white gauntlets, a hundred and fifty marching band gloves, nine drum keys, and six cleaning kits.
2: I couldn't give them nine drum keys. <laughs> <laughs> I've got about hundred in my apartment.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Who's who's going for their like who's doing their uniforms?
0: I wish I could tell you. It seems like they may have overlooked that and spent one point <laughs> one million dollars on equipment. Oops that's
1: all right that's the next fundraiser well all right
2: well come on fred j miller somebody let's help these kids out with some uniforms man yeah it's
0: only right i think that uh if you're gonna walk around with seven figures worth of equipment you gotta look good doing it so right yeah you gotta look good doing it too
1: I just think that we, it's funny that we just laughed about the four snares, but it was just like, we didn't bud an eyelash at the six tenors.
2: That's you know, what I think is important. so funny
0: about it. Six tenors, but only four snares. <laughs> well,
2: it's a single tenor, right? It's, a, it's like a snare drum, but without guts.
0: Uh Most yeah, likely. No. Maybe it could be. It could be something like that. Maybe some <laughs> time. Yeah, these are a action. lot of parade
2: bands usually, so... Got it. They okay. play a lot of traditional marches.
0: Right. That that got that vibe. Reading the article, it's like a a real prideful like drum community drum corps in yeah. the school type of program.
2: Cool, man. That's uh, so awesome. Good for those guys. It is
0: so cool. Uh, good for them. I I'm sure they're gonna enjoy it. But let's uh thank you all for a great rehearsal this week. Thank you to our hosts Nicole, Tom. <laughs> Uh, Justin, Cynthia, and Jackie as well. Uh, thank you to our guests, Chris McCarthy from Origins, Susie Harloff from Avon, and Matt Carraher from Hempfield High School, and of course the amazing Carol Hatab. Go subscribe, write us a review, and share it with a friend. You can follow us on social media at On a Water Break, and we will see you at the next rehearsal on a water break.
4: Go practice! <laughs>